What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN Gamescoop. I'm your host, Damon Hadfield. Joining me this week are Sam Claiborne. Hey, good to be joined. Justin Davis. Scoop. And John Davison joins us once again. Welcome back, John. Hello. We've got a great show for you this week. We've got a great show for you this week. We will be checking in with the Nintendo Seal of Quantity, and there are some scoops in there this week. I promise you. We'll flip through the October 2000 issue of official PlayStation Magazine, something that John had a hand in creating, actually. (laughs) But first, we begin this week with a very interesting conundrum presented by one of our listeners. Mm. So let's go ahead and check in with the listeners. Hey, listeners. Listeners, remember you can always reach us at the email address, gamescoop at IGN.com, just like Kevin Garaventa in Portland, Oregon did. Kevin says, last week, With Overwatch 2 replacing all previous Overwatch content, IGN's Game of the Year for 2016 can be considered no longer playable. At least not playable in the form it was awarded IGN's Game of the Year six years ago. This would be the first game on IGN's list of Game of the Year winners to not be playable in its original release form. So, What about that Battlefield game that won? Um, (laughs) Is that... that, um, Oh, yeah. Battlefield 1942? Yeah, I don't think you can play that anymore. You can probably still play that. You get a lobby going. But anyway, I just think this is... I hadn't thought of this until Kevin brought that up. IGN's 2016 Game of the Year winner doesn't really exist anymore. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, kind (laughs) of. I mean, there's lots of it in Overwatch 2. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think... I mean, for me, I think... uh, it's only going to get harder in the coming years, right? There's more and more games that are live services that are, you know, mm-hmm. the discussion is going to be uh, how many times is a game eligible for Game of the Year? Like, if yeah. Apex and Fortnite continue to get better and better and better. I mean, Fortnite is a very different game than it was when it launched. Mm-hmm. Like, do we need rules for, like, is it eligible every year? If it wins, is, it, does it, is there a cooling off period? Like, how mm-hmm. much has to change before it's eligible? I think the... The, the it's it's not as easy as it used to be, yeah. Sure. And then we have maybe we still do, but we had a best like live game, best ongoing game category in our game of the year awards for exactly that reason. Yes, but I guess Overwatch is a little bit different because I mean it was it's not a free to play game, right? Well, two is, but one was not. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, I mean, you know, to your point, like, oh, like, yes, it's a very kind of shocking headline of, like, you can't play IGN's Game of the Year anymore. But, like, that game was already, you know, six months after we awarded it Game of the Year. The reworking heroes, like, the main hero that I played in the game got completely reworked from the ground up and functioned in a completely different way. They changed map making. Like, they were already kind of, like, the game was always being tinkered with, right? So there's an argument of, like, the the piece of software that we awarded the game of the year, you know, it's ephemeral, right? Like it already didn't exist even even the very next calendar year. Although the change from Overwatch to Overwatch Two is obviously a lot more pronounced and dramatic. We talk about games. Justin that same year the Witness came out. Do you think we should have just given it to that so we don't have to have this conversation four years later? It was the six years later. It was the best game with like you know weird audio clips of like uh, just like <laughs> Isaac Asimov. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, we talk a lot about uh, game preservation on the show, and we'll, we'll there's some current events around that that we'll discuss um, in a few minutes. Sam, do you, how do you think that applies to Overwatch? Like, 
should the original ver- the, like the release version of Overwatch be preserved somehow and ac- accessible somehow? I mean, not only do I think that, but I think like the fans of the, the game think that too. I, I, I really like when games have a life that goes on and on and on and on because somebody maintains like a private server or as a way to do that. I have no idea whether that will be possible or it will resurface or that will ever be allowed. I don't know how Overwatch works, but I'm always surprised what games do have that. Like what's the Star Wars game? We just hired somebody at IGN who said, uh, their favorite game was was a Star Wars game. What's it called? Um, Galaxy? Is that what it's the, called? It was the RTS Space? game, right? Yeah, yeah. I forget what it's called, but it's a Star Wars game that still has a massive fan community and mod community and everything. Oh. Like keeping oh, it on um, life support. Empire, Empire War. War. Yeah. 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 And it's like, Lucas <clears throat> doesn't, they're not doing that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just completely independent. So like people... Have ingenious ways of preserving games. I think that's really cool. And like for a while, right? Didn't people do like ancient versions of World of Warcraft until they finally re- end up yeah. doing a WoW classic stuff like that? Like that, that those projects are are great. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Maybe that that will already be in the works. Yeah, I'm very clear. WoW Classic has made it through the last good expansion, by the way. <laughs> so, like, they're up, to, they're up to Wrath of the Lich King, and so it's like, like then that's a controversial statement that I'm making somewhat deliberately, but like, do they keep do they keep doing classic versions of the expansions that like, mm, like, people are already kind of starting to not dig the game as much by that point? Or maybe they'll just start over and just do another, you know, just like a new beginning server again. Well, Kevin continues, since Overwatch 2 has replaced the original Overwatch like a massive update, is it eligible for Game of the Year for 2022? What does this mean for how the IGN staff chooses their Game of the Year? Since games are constantly innovating and taking advantage of new technology, do you Mm. reevaluate the criteria for Game of the Year? And then looking back on 2016, are there any other games that were your personal highlights? I guess these are some of the issues that, that John was just mentioning. And then uh, Sam mentioned The Witness coming out in 2016. There are a lot of games, a lot of really great games that I, I guess I had forgotten all came out within 2016. Kevin says his favorites would be The Witness, Titanfall 2, Doom 2016. Mm-hmm. But then there's also Firewatch, Battlefield 1, Super Hot Inside, Dishonored 2, Watch Dogs 2, Stardew Valley, Dark Souls 3, <laughs> Salt and Sanctuary, Uncharted 4, Oxen Free, Persona 5, Final Fantasy 15, and the Ratchet and Clank reboot. All in 2016. So, uh, not much then. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a monumental year for games. Actually, I'll even throw in, there's two more, Civ Six and Darkest Dungeon. Oh, those were all 2016? Yes. You know, it, it, uh, the reader asked a lot of questions in there. So um, yeah. one, of, one, one thing there it was like, you know, how do we evaluate game of the year? Do we change our criteria? And I would say that that doesn't change a whole lot. Instead, we add new new categories and spinoff categories. So that's what we changed more year to year than like, you know, the criteria for what the game of the year is. But in terms of Overwatch 2 being eligible, there's nothing about it being, um, you know, a, a sequel that has large parts of Overwatch 1 in it that disqualifies it. But it does, uh, you know, the criticism of that game may be such that people say, hey, this is too much like Overwatch 1. Why does this exist? And then people won't like it as much. Mm. But like that doesn't disqualify it from being considered. Sure. Well, it's an interesting scenario and probably one that will continue to occur as the industry, you know, goes through these changes to, to lean more onto games as a service. <laughs> 
let's move on to current events from this week. Xbox calls PlayStation too big to fail. And this is all in, in response to concerns that are raised by the UK's Competition and Markets Authority. John, can you actually provide any insight onto, as to what this organization is? So the CMA is actually, they're the organization that blocked um, Facebook from buying Giphy. <coughs> and they also, there was, there was another one as well. So they've successfully sort of blocked some of these big things. So it's, uh, you know, it's ultimately it's looking at, at keeping things competitive. Um, it, the UK used to be part of a larger organization that was Europe-wide, uh, but obviously it's now, <laughs> it's now just the UK. And they're they're not scared of stepping in on these on these sort of you know antitrust and kind of big merger stuff and have successfully blocked things in the past. Um, I think the Microsoft defense is that hey you know even with all of this, um, the PlayStation is still the biggest selling platform and has you know plenty of exclusives because that's Sony's whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like, I think it's unusual for an organization like this to show teeth on a regular basis. And this one in the UK is not afraid of it. So I think mm-hmm. if any of the things that pop up in the months ahead, it's going to be this one that causes the most trouble for Microsoft on this. But I'd honestly be surprised if it didn't go, if it ultimately didn't go through. I think we may, we may need, uh, I think a compromise will be a commitment from Microsoft to support Call of Duty on PlayStation for a, I mean, presumably a specific amount of time, but maybe an indefinite amount of time. Right now, he's a little vague, right? It was kind of like, I can't remember the, the, the exact wording of it, but it was like, it was basically, yeah, we'll do a few more. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is all happening because of the um, the attempts for Microsoft to acquire Activision Blizzard. Regu- regulatory organizations all over the globe get to like sort of weigh in on this. And there was a lot of information coming out of Brazil. That's where we, I think that's where we learned about the figures that Game Pass on consoles made almost $3 billion last year. Well, and now it's all happening in the UK. And so Sony has like, you know, they submit you know, formal grievances with, with this acquisition and reasons why it would be like bad for Sony's business. And there's some really interesting quotes coming out of Microsoft's responses to this. One of them is that, this is the quote, the suggestion that the incumbent market leader, that's Sony, with clear and enduring market power could be foreclosed, i.e. put out of business, by the third largest provider as a result of losing access to one title is not credible. And I just think it's, it's like, it's so interesting to hear Microsoft just say, yeah, we're in third place. We're in last place. So yeah. Console manufacturers. They have to like, they have to engage in this double speak, right? Of like, where they're trying to get this deal to go through, they have to be like, we're tiny and we suck. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then in their customer facing communication, you know, they have to talk about how they lead in every way imaginable. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you don't hear the, 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 talk the console war is getting a little bit, a little bit snippy as of uh, <clears throat> recent. Uh, uh, there's some interesting stuff happening. It's kind of one-sided right now on that, but uh, it's reminding me of those quotes we read in the old magazines. Especially the uh, that's dumping and it's against the law. <laughs> it's well, illegal. Was, was Sega versus? Well, I forget at this point. Was it Sega versus PlayStation? I think it was Saturn. Actually, yes, the Saturn yeah, versus it, PlayStation. I'll just so, so they were like, we're we're gonna the part of the console wars is just being angry and suing each other and over. And I was like, oh, that'll never happen again. There's so much comedy between everybody now, but no, no, it's just gonna be. Bad again. 
I mean, yeah, the Activision thing, like one of the biggest mergers in any industry of all time since like the history of capitalism, like it definitely punched through to like a different level of like, this is very different than like, than like deflating Sonic at E3. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Yeah. And it, it, it will get really interesting when Nintendo has one of their little unsuccessful cycles, which they do every once in a while, because then they start like coming out with like crazy stuff like we don't even make video games we don't, we're not even competing <laughs> who's microsoft like they're just they, they just start acting really aloof you know yeah. like we make we make lifestyle products and calculators and hands that go out on, on long grips that's that's what we do i don't know let them eat cake <laughs> so i think what we'll see we'll see microsoft point at their acquisition of Mo, of, of mojang right i think it was on a smaller scale i mean it was still a lot it was four billion dollars but it mm. that's arguably the most successful game in the world consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's on every platform. Um, yeah. And they've continued to put it out on every single platform. So there's, there's definitely a sort of slight change in position. Because then the argument for Sony becomes, well, um, we can't put it on our subscription service. You know, like I think we'll mm-hmm. see the yeah. argument evolve where it stops being about just the game existing on the platform. And then it'll become, well, oh, we can't make it part of PlayStation Plus. That's, that's the part that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, I've, I think I've said from the beginning that the most likely outcome is that the deal does close. And then the most likely outcome following that is that Call of Duty does continue to get published on the PlayStation, but it's 70 bucks. It's 70 bucks and then it's free with your Game Pass subscription. Yeah. And yeah. and then that gives, you know, like that allows Microsoft to kind of have their cake and eat it too, right? Of like, you know, they're they're being they're being a good partner and keeping this game that people have played on PlayStation for 15 years on PlayStation, but they get to kind of continue banging their um, their Game Pass drum, you know, every yeah. year. I remember when it was completely completely absurd to play Call of Duty on a PlayStation system. Do you remember that? Yeah. There's just no it's reason like, to, right? Yeah. You, you want to play you want to play Call of Duty on anything but the Xbox 360? Mm-hmm. Get out of here. Like yeah, nobody, I mean, like it's just crazy that we're at this point right now. It's definitely true. Like the PS3 had you know dozens and dozens of great games on it. I love my PS3, but it was a it was a tougher time for PlayStation fans when they were going up against the 360 for sure. There was a couple of years you could play Call of Duty on the Wii. That's right. So day and date, yeah. and it was the same game with like <clears throat> rectangles that you played as instead of army men. <laughs> um, there's a couple of good quote, a couple more good quotes from Xbox. Xbox says even if every Call of Duty player on PlayStation's consoles switched to Xbox. The PlayStation gamer base remaining would be significantly larger than Xbox. <laughs> That's a pretty good stat. It's like look, every single one, all of them switched. PlayStation would still be bigger. It's like Sony does not be- want this acquisition to happen. So they're like, if this happens, we are going out of business. And then Microsoft <laughs> is saying, like, no, they're not. Even if we take all of their Call of Duty players, they're still going to dwarf us because we're just this <laughs> tiny little scrappy indie company. That's so funny. What what's the what's the organization called in the UK that that they're appealing to? What is it again, John? They called the, the it's the CMA. I can't remember what it's that the Consumer Compe- something Competition agency. and Markets Authority. Right. So okay. the monarchy can dissolve that at a whim too. So just be ready for that. Yeah, that's how it works. So they're mainly figureheads, from what I understand. Uh, my Xbox sums things up by saying it's a short. Parliament joke, everybody. <laughs> that's why it went over my head. Uh, <laughs> Xbox says, in short, Sony is not vulnerable to a hypothetical foreclosure strategy and the referral decision incorrectly relies on self-serving statements by sony which significantly exaggerate the importance of call of duty to it 
and neglect to account for Sony's clear ability to competitively respond. While Sony may not welcome increased competition, it has the ability to, to adapt and compete. Pretty good. Yeah. And, and let's face it, we may see the retaliation strategies be to go and acquire something equally large like EA, yeah. for example. And if you buy EA, you get Respawn and you get the, and you get Medal of, you don't get Call of Duty, but you do get the people that made Titanfall, the people that made Medal of Honor, who, by the way, are the people that made Call of Duty. And, you know, it, it, it could escalate much further from here. Yeah, although Sony is a, you know, is an $80 billion uh, company and Microsoft is, I, I don't even, I'm a trillion, I'm it's say. about a trillion, it's a trillion. Yeah. yeah. Like, and so, you know, what, what is that? what's my math that's like 40 times bigger you know microsoft is a 40 times bigger company than sony and so in video game land we kind of put them on even footing or as we said earlier sony's the incumbent right they're the leader yeah but their ability to actually muscle into you know earth-shattering m&a is not you know they're they're sony like i think that that's why their hackles are so up on this one is it's like ooh, like you know they're they're punching into territory where sony kind of can't respond well, their bid for Activision Blizzard is like almost the entire value of Sony, right? Yeah. Yep. They should just buy Sony. It's, it's, it, don't yeah. say that, dude. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's it, it's weirdly more likely that, X, that that Microsoft would buy EA, right? I mean, that's that's the situation. And EA isn't at the top of their game right now either. But it'd be nice to get you know Bioware and Apex out of it. There was all those rumors for you. I mean, not credible rumors, but just like armchair rumors when Nintendo was down that like Sony might try to acquire Nintendo and have like, you know, Japanese like hegemony over like the, the video game industry. And like just the idea of like maybe it could go the other direction and Microsoft gobbles up Sony is terrifying. I mean, the, the, the companies that would be interesting for Sony to nab now are like Sega, Capcom, Square. Like, those are pretty cool. Like, that's really yeah. neat. But, like, even those added up together, I don't think, would even put a dent in the, the Activision thing. I, well, it's hard to tell, though. I don't know. I mean, I also just, this is just my personal bias. I haven't played a Call of Duty game in several years. Like, I, like I don't think I think that this is this is undoubtedly good news for Xbox. Should it close, right? But like, it's I don't necessarily think it's like some slam dunk. Like, you know, they're going through this war zone generational transition with Call of Duty. Um, right. We don't really know what like the next decade of first person shooters is going to look like as people's tastes change and evolve. Like, mm -hmm. so I I don't think it's all upside for Xbox either. Like, there is very real risk of downside too um you know as activision they're they're far from a one-trick pony but like you know they don't they're not they're not like an ea where they have a really distributed portfolio they do have blizzard they have blizzard too. they have blizzard and they have king yeah yeah king that's right he's a really big one yeah but sony seems to only be worried about call of duty not worried about anything from Blizzard. Yeah, what's up with that? I mean, I guess it's because of the console nature of it versus like the PC games that Blizzard does yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't really like, understand. I'm pretty sure Diablo did really well on consoles. Diablo three. I mean, what about the big Blizzard games? I mean, there's just huge <clears throat> Warcraft. I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know. That's not on consoles, of course. But... Sam, tell us about these two mysterious NES games that have popped up on eBay. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so um, uh, occasionally there's 
prototype games that are sold and, and usually they're games that we know about and usually they're games that have like a version that's out but this is like an earlier version or sometimes it's just the game that we all know it's just in a prototype cartridge or or not even in a cartridge and on a little pc board and they were used for various reasons the two that are on ebay right now are from independent sellers so completely unrelated to each other and they both contain games that have never been dumped to rom that we have no versions of so, well, I should walk that back. One of them, there's a Japanese version of, but there's no, the mm -hmm. US version never came out. A Broderbund game uh, uh, about the, the conquest of Napoleon, which is really strange, but it came out in Japan. It's just a little real-time strategy game for the NES, but the it had like full art. There was like, you know, advertisements for it at the time. And like, I don't know how this got pulled. I mean, look at that. This is like, this is being shipped to get printed. Like that's mm -hmm. what's crazy. It, it's being sold with all of the materials that it would take to print an NES game in whatever, 1993. Like that's what this package is, which is super cool. And it, it was apparently dumpster, a uh, product of dumpster diving when- Whoa. Whoa. So that's neat. And then the other game is much more interesting in, to me in that it's a game that, or maybe a demo, maybe a prototype again, like nobody's seen it, that uh, was uh, the other- well, and other uh, game developed to take advantage of the Power Glove. Now, the Power Glove, you could play any game on. It just had a controller on it. And it has, like, you know, a few things that allow you to, to um, do multi-press, multi like, what's it called, rapid fire and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Like, that's what my, you know, jackass cousin used it for, right? <laughs> like, like, this is a very difficult controller to play Super Mario Brothers. Dude, wait, what if your cousin likes GameScoop? <laughs> I'm going to listen to my cousin Sam every week. <laughs> it could be any cousin. That's yeah, yeah. Which one? Yeah, but um, and by the way, anybody that bought a power glove and was that excited about the rapid fire on it was a jackass. So I think it's fair. Um, he doubles so, down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a, but yeah, the power glove came with a um, like a weird radio frequency uh, sound bar thing that made it so it could do like X Y Z positioning. Like one game used that. It's called. Uh, Super Glove Ball, um, mm -hmm. not great by Rare. This is another game by Rare, uh, which uh, nobody's ever played or seen. That apparently takes advantage of Wait. that stuff. But but Wait, but this it's a it's this, the cartridge here says Rare Coin It Incorporated. That's not like rare. No, it is. It's it's rare, rare. I don't know what the Coin It Incorporated means, but this I was don't a know rare. What it means either. Yeah, it's a yeah. rare developed game. Interesting. Um, and CS samples on there. It may have been behind closed doors at CS. This is all uh, information, speculative information from Frank Cifaldi, who once ran Lost Levels, which dumped the California Raisins game and Penn and Teller's Smoke and Mirrors back in the day. He's been at this for a long time, but him and the, he's a founder now of the uh, Video Game History Foundation, which we uh, are uh, friends of the show. They've been on uh, 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 shows on IGN before. Um, but anyway, uh, they, uh, I interviewed him for the story and, and these auctions are live right now. They're about, they're each game. There's, you know, again, two separate auctions are about 5k right now, but the point is that people like Frank, you know, are raising money right now to get these and dump them onto ROM. So they are preserved and accessible and in some way, not in a collector's hands that might not see the light of day. Now, from a collector's perspective, here's, here's the crummy thing, right? If I had a one-of-a-kind game. It is every incentive of mine as a collector, uh, a certain type of collector, to never have that game's ROM dumped, right? Because that makes mm -hmm. that a Holy Grail cartridge, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to what I still think would be a cool, graded, rare prototype cartridge, 
um, if it has code and it's never been released, there's a lot of, you know, if it gets into certain hands, it, it probably will stay unreleased for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a you know a, a, a immense pressure to uh, from preservationists to get these games in the right hands and have that whole Indiana Jones debate, right? And I think it's really interesting. When you wrote the article, I think you said coincidence- they're both around. Sorry, oh, they were both around five thousand dollars, right? Yes. I just didn't know if that had gone I, up since then. Yeah, I got to look. And is today. it purely coincidence? Is, is it purely coincidence they both showed up at the same time? Like, is like seems so because said, because of all because they got listed at the same time. You mean? Yeah. I mean, like it's unusual for even one to come up. Well, so with these gas prices, John, I don't think it's really a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, it is, it is, and it's like it's strange that they're both listed at the same time, but it, it is just unrelated. And, and there's a constant stream of cool, you know, ancient video game prototype stuff being sold. NES games are special to me. I've always been an NES collector, and then, and also they've they've also been responsible for some of the most interesting unreleased gems, like that California Raisins game I mentioned. Th- this game that never. I don't think you. I don't even know if it has code, but it has box art. There's a new kids on the block game. Like, whoa! If that game ever, I, and I think we know now that I don't think the code maybe it got out for that game in any way. But like, there is box art, and it's been sold, which is the coolest thing ever. And like, I just can only dream. So, it's just <laughs> yeah. great to know these games are still out there. My favorite thing about the rare game because I was reading the eBay listing, and it was like, how do you know that this is authentic? And the auction says this is from my husband's private collection. And I'm like, well, who is your husband? And then it says he was the game designer. I'm like, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, that settles that. And I, I, I might do a little follow up on this. I know the designer of the Power Glove. Uh, it's a, it's a father of a friend of mine, and he's very interesting. And I've talked to him many times about the Power Glove. And I wonder if he knows about this other hardware. Although he, he also designed the Vectrex, and he knows a lot more about that. I think the Power Glove was more of a, a castaway uh, thing he worked on. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm curious to follow up, so maybe stay tuned for that. I'll definitely post the auction results and and, and yeah. I'll follow up there. Yeah, I hope I hope they do make it into uh, into the right hands. Yeah, yeah, always with stuff like this, and and that's that's a weird element of this where you know, like I love private collections and collectors and everything, but like there's also the the, the common good of of the game code being preserved that I'm totally mm-hmm. for. Not too many real-time strategy games on NES. No, but can you name another cool one, Damon? It's a Damon game. A real-time strategy game on NES? Yeah, mm. Godzilla. Oh, well... well Godzilla 2, I okay, think, yeah, is the there's two, there's two different Godzilla games, mm-hmm. yeah. The first one is a side-scrolling, like, brawler. Yeah, and, and it's about as functional as you could imagine. It's like, you know, a couple frames per second, a bunch of people <clears throat> dressed like little Frenchmen. Okay, speaking of Nintendo, it's time to see what the Nintendo Seal of Quantity has delivered to us this week. <laughs> Remember, the Nintendo Seal of Quantity is your guarantee that no one is paying attention to what games are being released on the Nintendo eShop. Any, anything is fair game, unintended. Hey, I have a question before you get into this. Is yes. it, Will there be a spooky edition of this? Are they going to dump Halloween games? Oh, I'm sure they will. That happens every year. Okay. There'll be a, there'll be a spooky wait. edition of Nintendo Seal of Quantity. The Nintendo Seal of Quantity uh, makes sure that games like Airport Flight Administrator Simulator and Air Traffic Sky Airplane Simplane games can make it through. 
This is a that's the game. <laughs> I love how, dude. We clocked this last week, but I love that Nintendo clearly has a requirement that the full name of the game has to be in like the title screen now. Yeah. Do you think that um, one day we'll get a, a, a collection of all of the shovelware uh, uh, search engine optimized keyword <laughs> dump games all in one? I hope so. And and it'll be the, this cool, like, and here's the original art that, that was yeah. released with it. And, and here's a did segment you, of Game Scoop that you can watch yeah. where they talked about it on. And yeah, you did, get Simulator, Air Traffic, Sky Airplane, Sim Plane, Administrator, <laughs> Airport Flight. Digital Eclipse will put that together, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And John, our working theory is that they're trying to like game the search. So they just put as many search terms in there as possible. But I, I don't know how many people are just searching for these terms in the Nintendo eShop. You know? Plane game. Yeah. I mean, Airport <laughs> Simulator, you, you catch the people looking for Microsoft Flight Simulator. Right? I mean, that one, that game could... Go ahead. I was going to say, it's a trick that people have been doing on Google Play and the Apple App Store for years now, right? Which is kind of SEO-optimized game names. But that one, I think, you know, if keyword stuffing is a thing on the eShop, I think that one qualifies. (laughs) Yeah, and there's a lot like that. You know, I will one-up you. There there was was trickery in game boxes for, you know, I'm sure this still happens. But back in the day, do you remember, like, when Nintendogs came out? The pets games with a Z mm-hmm. looked exactly oh, yeah. like the same yeah. covers, you know, and like they would they would totally try to imitate them. I'm I'm yeah. sure Nintendo at the time had well, that's back when they had a seal of quality. So I don't know if they would have allowed a complete Mario Brothers knockoff, but uh, you know, you can see stuff yeah. like that happening now more. Then he's ready for corrupt political idol city war strategy simulator craft. I, would, <laughs> I don't know why why ending on the word craft. I don't know if they're trying to get crafting in there. Oh. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to get Minecraft oh. in there, right? Yeah, Rupt, just looks good. <laughs> Rupt political <laughs> idol city war strategy. How do you think they choose the first two words? That's what I was going to say. I'm weirded out by like how much more prominent corrupt political is than everything else <laughs> yeah. in there. So there's a real game to play in these, but we've never yeah. seen them, right? We might. I want to budget grabbing and seeing what yeah. these actually are i want to see does jobert like do we have screenshots too or just uh, the title screen you may have just grabbed just the, the key that's fine that's fine i don't know we, we put out the call for scoop listeners to review some of these games no one no one was brave <laughs> corrupt uh, political is the most appealing so far i think the next this next title doesn't do a lot of keyword stuffing but it's still pretty good it's it's short and simple elite shoulder elite soldier shooter is this one oh, i like elite okay. shoulder shooter yeah. Punch yeah. <laughs> Ouch. It's just my shoulder. Elite Soldier Shooter. And I, I pulled some of the description for this one here. Uh, the official description reads Sometimes there are tasks where SWAT cannot handle, and then you appear, Elite Soldier. At your disposal, guns for any type of tasks. There is a pistol and machine gun and rifle, and even grenade if you decide to play on a large scale. But it will be better if your gun sounds is not so noisy. Mm, sure. That w- it will be better. Elite. It will be better. So some sort of stealth thing. Elite soldier shooter. The next okay. one is let's play curling. All caps, <laughs> let's. two exclamation marks. Oh, like punch out. Uh, yeah. 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 Just like punch it's out. a punch out like. And they're just What's going, that? I don't know why there are penguins on the ice. Oh, they're like, it's, they're so cute. That's why. This might be really fun. This one might be real. This one, this one might be unfairly lumped in with the others, Damon. I think maybe, curl- maybe, maybe, maybe. I think curling, it, you know, is a, is getting a little bit of 
you know, people like watching it in the Winter Olympics, maybe ironically, but how much more fun would it be if they just threw a bunch of penguins on the, on the, the rink? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So two things. One, I'm looking at the screenshots of this one and it looks like it, you know, it looks okay. It looks pretty good. But the second thing, it is $40. Yeah, it's $40. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, okay. So that's Let's Play Curling. I like this next one. The next one is Loot Box Simulator RPG Anime Girls. <laughs> Live your life like there is no tomorrow. And by playing loot box. Simulator. Oh no! <laughs> wow. So what do you what do you what what do you do when you get them? It says earn money by finishing crazy jobs from a random selection, just to spend all of it on loot boxes. There you go. Wait, I, oh. I, it's, I it's social I suppose, satire. Yeah, maybe it's an, 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 a sense of irony behind maybe. this one. I mean, there is a you know, there's like a whole sort of cottage industry of. Indie games that are, look really cheaply made and have a ridiculous title, but the developers are in on the joke. Yeah. Not, don't think this one counts for that, but who knows. <laughs> the next one is called Rich Man 11. I don't know if it's the 11th <laughs> entry in the Rich Man saga, but uh, the description will start to give us an idea of what, what maybe the inspiration for the Rich Man games is. Rich well. Man... Supports multi-controller online and offline modes to choose. Players could create either free play or challenge play. Players roll the dice, and it determines the steps they could move on the map, earning money by investment on properties, buying stocks or using cards. When the game ends, the only player who are not broke or owns the most in finance wins the play. Oh, okay. I know. It's called Sept. <laughs> it's called Sept. Yep. Um, Float it up. The was a rich man 10. So... Um, Cool. Presumably there was a one through <laughs> one through ten. Yeah. All right. Here, here. Oh, Damon, it is. There's there's a Rich Man series Wikipedia page. Oh the my first gosh. one. The first one came out in 1989. Oh my oh, yeah. gosh. I mean, I, I think you know this is what happened when Casino Kid grew up. Rich Man. <laughs> it is Casino Kid. Yeah. <laughs> Same the history. Wall Street Kid. And so granted, this uh, <laughs> Monopoly. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It says Rich Man 8, released in 2006, was claimed to be the last main series Rich Man game. <laughs> Guys, we've made eight of them. There's no more hills for us to climb. This is it. Yeah, we've perfected the Rich Man formula. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was a consequence of shrinking single-player markets and a lack of, gameplay of breakthrough in gameplay, they said. Yeah, well, can't argue with that. Well, they're back. Look, I, I just want to point out that Probably in your lifetime, especially John and Justin, you've been in a uh, hotel room near E3 where somebody was trying to get you to play this game. Oh, yeah. Ken Kensha Hall. Yes. Yeah. 100% that was happening in Kensha Hall. That, it was like <laughs> that, Guitar Hero, and like, you know, and then toilets with way too much technology in them. <laughs> okay, I've got just a couple more. There's Super Funky Bowling. Which, yes. Sam, does that sound familiar? It does sound familiar. Why does that sound familiar? Because it's Nestor's like Nestor's Funky, Funky Bowling. bowling. <laughs> there was Nestor's yeah. Funky Bowling for the uh, Virtual Boy. This one's yeah. just super funky bowling. Probably no well, involved. Nestor's Funky Bowling just wasn't that funky. So yeah. there's, there was more room for funkiness. And I've... finally this week, Virtual Families Cook-Off Chapter 1, Let's Go Flippin'. <laughs> And as far as I can tell, maybe like a like um, diner dash 
but oh, you're like you're grilling oh, right. and it's, okay. like, it's like a neighborhood yeah. competition around there but i don't know why it's chapter one is there going to be a chapter two are they going to yeah. be able to make it a chapter 11 like rich man i want to find like my hop like uh, there's there must be we should make a playlist of like games that got a chapter one and then that was it yeah. <laughs> like they just never continued virtual chapter families one. cook off chapter one let's go well, what's the what's what's the game the cooking game that that's this is based on that's not diner dash there's o- or overcooked overcooked maybe yeah, yeah. maybe yeah well, yeah, maybe. Um, the dog is trying to steal the sausages. That's so I, classic dog. Guys, I'm gonna be. I'm on the. I'm on the eShop page for Rich Man. It doesn't. It looks okay. It looks like kind of. Oh, yeah, a, it they looks, refined it over eleven games. That's true. It looks like. It looks like kind of a fun, like a fun anime Monopoly. Although here's so one of the screenshots is like a little witch, and there's an array of options to choose from. So obtain three cards, deposit all cash. One of the options, destroy a building. One of the options, invite a god. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Escalated quickly. Yeah, it might be it might be fine, Justin, but I think the quality yeah, of the copy sure. of their game description qualifies them for the Nintendo seal of quantity. No, yeah, no, it's unreadable. <laughs> okay. Now we will take our moment while I bring up our magazine. Okay, and now we have the October 2000 issue of official U.S. PlayStation magazine. Got Star Wars on the cover. Star Wars comes to PS2 with Star Wars, Starfighter and Bombad Racing. Other hot games are covering were Time Splitters, Crash Bash, The Bouncer, SSX, Wipeout Fusion, Star Trek Invasion, Madden NFL 2001, Spider-Man, International Track and Field, Tomb Raider Chronicles, and NFL Game Day 2001. And first off, we have an, an ad for Time Splitters, which would be a, a launch game for the PS2, of course. And I just think it's funny. They have the Grim Reaper looking to buy a sports car. And it says, mm-hmm. death has never been faster. And the copy says, Time Splitters, the fastest first-person shooter ever made for a gaming console. I guess I just, I just didn't realize that was the whole like marketing element. That was the shtick, yeah. yeah. The fastest well, FPS for a console. I think they started with the uh, catchphrase there, death has never been faster, and maybe worked back to a visual representation of that to (laughs) perhaps poor effect. It also says from the creators of Goldeneye. Time Splitters is one of those, like me and my friends probably played Time Splitters 2 and 3 as much as anything, right? Like as much as Smash, as much as these other games, but like for some reason it just didn't last. Like it didn't stick in people's consciousness. Yeah. Well, it's just been so long. Time Slaughter's 2 is a big one for us, me and my friends. Uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the contributors of the magazine, John, you had Tommy Telerico in, in this issue. Oh. He did. He used, to write, he used to write fairly regularly for us. I think uh, this is uh, a big raging debate about actually. video game violence, and I think he had a column in here about that. Yeah. I don't know. Who's this young, fresh fellow, editor-in-chief, <laughs> John Davis? Only one more month. Hair. Only one more month to wait before PS2. Uh, I think the PS2 was released in late October here in North America. Yeah. I'm not oh my gosh, this came with a demo disc? Yes. I love that uh, era. And it came with a demo disc, and I wanted to bring this up. So on the demo disc, you had Busta Groove 2, RC Revenge, Team Buddies, Sydney 2000, Muppet Monster Adventure, and Snowcross Championship Racing. And then I just noticed you have a whole segment on, there's, there's credits for the demo disc, 
And there's like a lot of people involved in making this thing. You have yeah. producers, product product manager, executive producer, audio people, uh, composers, yeah. lead testers, programming and interface, artwork creators. There's just a, a lot of people that worked on the demo disc, apparently. So um, I don't know if you guys remember a thing called PlayStation Underground. It was, I think it was a, it was a join and maybe you even paid for it. But it was, it was mm. the team that made the PlayStation Underground disc that made the demo disc for OPM. And then eventually the OPM cover disc kind of absorbed Underground completely, if I remember rightly. Mm. And we just worked with it. But we, we were working on the disc. like So a magazine like this, it came out, if it was the October issue, it came out in September. We were mm. probably working on this in late july early august so like (laughs) and then the disc would have been would have been started production even before that so it was like there was almost i think it was at one point it was like three months lead time on the disc from when it was being worked on to when it was like stuck to a magazine and went into stores was it like playstation internal development that would put together the disc basically because this is yeah so there was there was a team at playstation that we worked with and it was you know because um um, they were sourcing the demos, but then the other thing that they were doing was, you know, they were going out to shows and they were, you know, doing field productions from E3 and game studios and they would interview people and stuff. Because we didn't have any of that on the magazine side, obviously. And uh, But we didn't really have a lot of input into it. It was kind of separately produced. Mm. And then we would try and, t- when we knew what was confirmed for the disc, we would try and tie... Uh, editorial to the contents of the disc but by this point when the ps2 was about to about to come out um as you can tell the pickings were a little slim (laughs) (laughs) as like a consumer and fan of these magazines it's like oh demo disc like cool great but like if you actually think about what it would take to like like you have to have you have to have the discs in your hand in order to like ship them with the magazine like hey like so what if the discs were late what if something went wrong like just the chain reaction of like dependencies logistically terrifying to me yeah it's unbelievable the discs had to be pressed and shipped so on top of that when this thing went to stores, one of our biggest challenges was. Theft. Oh yeah, so we had to, sure. we had to come up with like there were lots of lots. Of, we eventually said I can't remember if this had happened by this point, but so when I took over on on OPM in like '99, it was a smaller format and it was in a bag, and then the disc was just kind of tossed in the bag with the magazine, and people would go to the newsstand, they just tear the bag open and, and steal the disc, particularly yeah. if it had something like really cool on it. So eventually, like Muppet Monster Adventures. Yeah. So eventually what we would do is it went in this like color color printed envelope that was actually bound into the magazine and sealed. So it was like oh. inside so it was the like, magazine. It looked like contiguous a, with the magazine. Yeah. So it but it was like it was it was sort of like, you know, in the middle of the magazine somewhere and it was bound in oh. and it had it and then it had like the the little sleeve had a cover and cover art and stuff as well. And yeah. it had like And a, then there is plastic wrap around the whole magazine yeah. too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Like so cool. just to have a printer, like just the print facility was getting pretty, co- that's pretty complicated by that point. It's like yeah. a cust, like you have a machine that can make a magazine, but like you have to have something pretty custom to do something like that. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was an extensive magazine to produce, but it was also, um, I can't remember what it said on the cover. I, I can't remember if it was 10 bucks by this point, but it was also oh. one of the most, Oh yeah, it was, 
It was for the longest time. It was it was this it was seven ninety nine at this point. It went up to nine ninety nine when the PS two disc started happening, and at that point, mm. you know, it was a very expensive <clears throat> thing to put out. But it was also at one point it was the most I think it was the most profitable magazine in America. Like Oprah <laughs> Winfrey hated it because we were like we made more money <laughs> than than, cool. than she did. Oh, ma- oh, magazine that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oprah, Oprah Winfrey would be a powerful. Plus, you're, on, you're on that O <laughs> section of the uh, of the charts, and so you know, <clears throat> yeah, competing yeah. with the O's. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Sam. Do you know in 2000 there was a Galaga game? These ones always surprised me. I remember a really bad Defender game from this time. Yeah, like a uh, Destination I'm, I'm, Earth. It came Gal- to Galaga is probably pretty good. It came to PlayStation, PC, and Game Boy Color. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like those days. <laughs> Uh, let's see, in our letter section. Oh, yeah. I bet Craig Harris gave it a 10. He probably did. Uh, someone wrote in, Jarrett wrote in, he said, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is a pretty good game and all, but who the hell picked the music? I know that good what? music can often pump you up for the game, but this game's music didn't thrill me in the slightest. Is skateboarding supposed to be considered punk? It seems this what? game what? may want to create that image. Either that or the person who picked or mixed the music was on a serious drug overdose. The example what? of just playing bad and punk music especially applies in one of the game's songs. I don't know the group, and I'm dang glad I don't. The one line that confused me the most was, I am the ambassador, I'll kick your acidor. What the hell is yeah. an acidor? If that music was supposed to get me in the game's mood, it sure scored a big F with me. No, wait, what? Oh, yeah. point, was there a with point us what, what, the, what should the soundtrack have been? I really want to know what this person was interested in. That's really yeah. funny. Yeah. Tony Hawk has a great soundtrack. It's isn't it hip hop also? Yeah, there's, there's hip hop in there too. Yeah. yeah, it was mostly uh, punk stuff, but yeah. And then uh, your question of the moment was, uh, what, what do you think of the PS One? Because the PS One had just been revealed or was about to come out, and that was the re- the revised version of the original PlayStation that had its own little tiny little monitor, so it made it portable, right? Love that. Oh, I don't think so. I, was it the monitor one, or was it just the tiny no, little no, no, PlayStation it was one? So there yeah, was just a tiny we were, because we were the official PlayStation magazine. There were things that were very inconvenient about the PS1 that we weren't allowed to talk about. And one of them was you couldn't do the disc trick with it, which was, do you remember mm. if you wanted to play an import yeah. game, you could prop yeah. the lid open on a, on a PlayStation and you'd stick like a paper clip and press down the, the little button so that it keeps it spinning. And you could, because you could put a, you could put a Japanese game in and it would read the location information off the first sector. And then you could like quickly pull it out and put put another game in, and it would work. Um, mm-hmm. We weren't allowed to talk about things like that. Mm. <laughs> but this played d- d- is that th- this plays import games? This little one? no, it, it this one does played, not. Yeah, it, oh, okay. it only played U.S. games. Yeah, and, and Damon, I think there was like a screen that you could bolt onto this. Okay, like, so but the PS One itself was just a tiny little PlayStation. Yeah. Okay, because like one of the responses says, "I think the PS One is a really cool idea. I will definitely buy one for when I'm on a long car ride." How about, how do you plug it in? <laughs> that's that's a problem for Justin Hutchins to figure out. Uh, okay, in the, in, the, in the news tidbits, PlayStation Two excitement grows. They said uh, Thief Three is headed for the PS Two. Nope, nope, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> that was only on Xbox. Um, what else is in here? Oh yeah, as of this issue, as if this issue isn't already overflowing with Star Wars info. LucasArts recently revealed that it has partnered with Bioware to develop a Star Wars RPG for PC and next-gen consoles, which we've been told includes PS2. 
The game will take place 4,000 years prior to the Star Wars films. It will feature a storyline based around the epic struggle of the Jedi and the Sith. Don't expect this one until 2002. That's great. When did Kodor fight? It was like 2004, maybe? Maybe 2003. It wasn't 2002, that's for sure. No, that wasn't. And then it says Ubisoft is jumping on the PS2 in a big way. And I just, I don't remember like, n- even knowing about Ubisoft's existence back in 2000. Like, like basically before Assassin's Creed. Hmm. Yeah, well, uh, they, were, they were the Rayman outfit. Like, that's yeah. what yeah. I yeah. them as. Yeah. Hey, this this part jumps out to me. Sucker Punch, who yeah, yeah, I saw at that the time too. were known yeah. for N64 game Rocket, yep. are working <laughs> on a game signed to a AAA publisher, which was yep. Sony. Yep, that's crazy. So that would what be, would that sucker punch game be? That'd be the uh, um, what, what's the raccoon game? Uh, Sly, Sly, Sly Cooper. Cooper. Would be Sly, right? Yeah. Devious yeah. Raccoonus. Uh, newly formed developer IROC has announced it will develop a PS2 game starring Ozzy Osbourne titled Ozzy's Savage Skies. I don't know if that one ever came to be. I think I think that came out. It's a well, Savage. It's actually it's a sequel to Crimson Skies on the Xbox. Right. Yep. yep, yep, that's right. That Futurama came out, and it's really rare. Um, oh, yeah, I, did, I checked it. That Futurama game did come out. I think it got a decent review from IGN. Yeah, I like it I, at the time. I, I think it got like a 7 or something. It's just a fun platformer. All original audio from the, the whole team, which was like really cool when that series yeah. got canceled. Mm. Uh, Resident Evil Rumblings. Resident Evil 4. Capcom is currently hard at work on this one, but progress is moving slow. Unfortunately, the team working 22 years later and still talking about Resident Evil yeah. 4. <laughs> Unfortunately, the team working on the project is having a tough time trying to get the game's visuals up to a level they're happy with. Capcom says, right now we are stuck in a deadlock. It's a fully polygonal game, but it's not looking as good as Onimusha so far. It can't even be compared to Code Veronica. Hopefully Wait. Capcom will be able to further tap into the PS2's graphical capabilities to get things looking good. Is that a is that an interview that Sony is that a quote from Sony from Capcom? <laughs> or that's sorry, that's what I meant from Capcom. Where they're like, it doesn't oh. look as good as Code Veronica. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? That. Yeah, yeah, like we so, can't get it looking as good as Ani Musha. It's like, what? Don't say that out loud. And also, I mean, Resident Evil is this for RE four? This yeah. is crazy because what what made the difference years. there? It's well, yeah, well, and they and it came out on GameCube. Yeah, <laughs> like, our, our, they're like, oh, we're having trouble making this for PS two. Yeah, because it was. Yeah. And RE4 was um, it was scrapped and redone from scratch, right? Like that yeah. was when like the series was like reinvented. Is there's there's videos and stuff of the old survivor survival horror oh, RE4 that we never that. got. I gotta check that out. That's so yeah. cool. There's it was like it was very um. I'm speaking from memory here, but it was like very ghosts instead of zombies, like these mm-hmm. weird ghosts flying around and stuff like that. PS2 Survivor. John, do you remember putting this feature together? I guess at this time, the Survivor TV show was all the rage. Yeah, uh, I don't remember doing this. Like, what's the idea? I like oh, the artist. I think you, you put di- different um, PlayStation characters on different teams, and I guess the readers could, like, vote people off the islands or something like that. Well, neat. We, we, should, uh, we should steal this. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, the, the teams are interesting. So Tribe 1 has, like, Lara Croft, Abe from... Abe's Odyssey, Gabe Logan from Siphon Filter, then Parappa, but then Frogger. I just don't really think of Frogger being a PlayStation character myself. <laughs> hey, did we lose Sam again? No, I'm here. Let's let my camera charge for a little bit while we look at this magazine, and I'll turn it back okay. on for 20 questions. All right. Perfect. All right. I love the Hollywood banter. 
segment updates on movies. The Matrix sequels have been delayed, everyone. Oh, yes. Ian McKellen thinks there'll be more X-Men movies coming. I guess in 2000? Is that when oh, the yeah, first think, X-Men came out? I think there was only X, the first one out by then, right? Yeah. It's a little bit depressing that this was 22 years ago. Yeah. And it's X-Men, Indiana Jones, Spider-Man, Ridley Scott, Batman. <laughs> like Even the Matrix. Mm, Even we just got a new I Matrix know. movie. Uh, like, and like, I, don't know, I guess I'm part of the problem because I watch all those TV shows and movies too, but it's like, oh. <laughs> Indiana Jones at last. Harrison Ford told Sci-Fi Wire that he's eager to reprise the role of Indiana Jones in a fourth movie. It would only take another eight years for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ridley Scott is rumored to be in line to direct Terminator 3. Oh, yeah. He would not, he would not well, direct he, Terminator he, 3. He would not. And then director Sam Raimi confirms, this is pre- Spider-Man, pre okay. Sam Raimi Spider-Man. He says he confirmed at International Comic-Con in San Diego that the villains in his upcoming Spider-Man movie will be the Green Goblin and Dr. Octopus. Whoa. Dr. Octopus is not in the first one, right? No. I think he's only in the second one. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, Sam Raimi was only at the time known for Evil Dead stuff. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So he was already a notable director. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I always love in the magazines when they ha- when they recommend websites. I don't know, like, isn't that uh, great? Look at that. There's there's a a website where you can uh, a Metal Gear codename generator you can go to. You <laughs> just go to www.buzzsite.com/goodies/mds/namegen. <laughs> the best one is this one. If you go to www.namco.co.jp/home/cs/lineup/mrdriller/room/wallpaper/index.html. You can download wallpaper. You can download wallpaper for Mr. Driller. <laughs> oh, cool! <laughs> and then you guys I, list Gamespot.com. Uh, well, mm-hmm. well, at the time, Gamespot was still part of Ziff Davis. So this was when GameSpot was kind of technically the website associated with EGM, OPM, and uh, Expert. I didn't Game even know that era existed. Wow. Yeah. So video. So our the URL that we owned as the magazines was video and redirected to GameSpot. Right. I remember yeah. that. It still does. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. being very annoyed by that. Um, I also want to point out that John Scalzi was a video game journalist. He wrote that sound station here, but he's like a best-selling sci-fi author. He's like a number one New York Times best-selling author. He's written a long-running series of sci-fi books, and he's famous now. Oh, that's really you? cool. Oh, John Scalzi, the guy who wrote yeah. this column on yep. yeah. So the albums they reviewed are by Bad Bad Religion, Dub Pistols, and Rage Against the Machine. That's a really old Bad Religion record. That record is from 1989, so it must have been reprinted or before it. Yeah, that's really strange. Oh, no, it says we review albums that were on the Tony Hawk 2 soundtrack. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. okay. John, yeah. John used to write for us every month. He had, a, he had a column for a while, and he would do stuff like this for us. And this was before so his first breakout book was Old Man's War, which became a series yep. that I think was like eight or nine books. And then he did, he did Red Shirts, which was uh, about from the perspective of, the, of characters in a TV show that are the Red Shirts in Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. but he was great. And then like, you know, and still, I know that he and, and Joe Rubicki, who was one of the editors on OPM, like live near each other and are still buddies to this day because of it. Hmm. Uh, couples of a feather game together, John, this was, I guess, a recurring feature where you found couples either married or just dating and, and you, in, you interviewed them about how they play games together. 
Yeah. <laughs> How did you find these people? <laughs> I guess it says they, at the bottom. If, yeah. It says if you play yeah, people would reach out about CD. stuff all the time. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we saw a lot of copies and a lot of people really wanted to be in the magazine and, you know, they would send us photos and tell us stuff and, all done through the mail. Most of this was all pre-emailed. Well. <laughs> wait, wait, you didn't. You wouldn't put out a call out for that. You would actually do it passively, just kind of be like, "Oh, I know some couples that have written us." So that was how it started, yeah. And then you know, after we did a few, we just put, I mean, literally all we did was put the thing at the bottom and say, "If you and your- oh yeah, so it was a, it was a regular column." I see. Yeah, yeah. I see, I see. yeah. This feature I'm a little confused by. It's called Dude, You're So Hardcore, and it says a guided tour through the warped minds of the so-called hardcore gamer. And it goes through some games and websites, movies, and anime and stuff. And I guess I guess it's just supposed to be like a primer for someone who isn't a hardcore gamer. I, I was so actually a little was, bit confused by so it. This was building off um, so Gary Steinman, who was the managing editor, wrote something the prior month saying that he wasn't hardcore. Yeah, she. Hmm. He actually was in like by today's standard would be he would play like you know square RPGs like you know exhaustively. Um, but at the point he was getting at was that his taste was not kind. You know, it was very specific, and this was the very beginnings of like the behavior shift that we see now, which is that you know, like when I was working on EGM, a hardcore gamer was someone that tried to play everything, right? And I think what we were already finding was that people would drill in on a specific franchise or a specific game and just play that exhaustively and nothing else. like tony hawk matt there were people that only played tony hawk there were people that only played madden um and i think this was more kind of like hey people that like these kinds of things also like these other kinds of things if i remember i think it was based on some research we'd done we used to do like these big exhaustive studies back then um they were household studies, not subscriber studies. So it wasn't readers of the magazine. We would we would actually impl- work with a, a research agency, and they would they would do like a sampling of households across America, and we would ask them very specific questions about you know games and and gear and movies and stuff that they like. Hmm. I don't know what this page is. I, I don't know <laughs> if it's an ad or it's like a it's a very abstract picture of a person with it a is, yeah. PlayStation One it's, on his look, cool art. Yeah, Damon, it's art, man. Okay. All right. It just it's, There's a <laughs> website at the bottom that says johnconrad.com. I checked. That doesn't lead to anything today. Very confused it, by that one. I'm going to assume that it's, uh, it was an, that was a, in case of emergency, <laughs> like when we had a preview that <laughs> fell through, like you put the art in. And then an ad for ebworld.com, your world, your games at ebworld.com. And it's, it's just an interesting, it's like a poster that doesn't take up the full page. I don't know why. Yeah. Like, like, what's yeah. the why? Why is it? Why is that better than using the full page to make it look like it's a poster it, on? The it's wall? supposed to look retro. It must be referencing something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, the top twenty games. This is from MPD that month. Would be Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. This is just on PlayStation. Legend of Dragoon, Spec Ops, Stealth Patrol. Oh, and that one got. Uh, oh, by the way, John, what what's your scoring system? They're not stars. Uh, they were, these? I think uh, they were, I think we referred to them as discs. I think in the, yes, in a previous okay. iteration of the, they were literally little CDs and then we turned them into blobs, but it was, it was out of five with halves. Okay. Gotcha. So Spec Ops Stealth Patrol is interesting. It's by Take Two, but it's a budget game. I think they sold for $10 and it only got, it only got one disc out of five, but it was the third oh. best selling game of the month. 
Daddy. Hold on. Hold on. Hello. I've been, I've been, in, I've been invaded. Uh-huh. Can go. We're live right now. Um, <laughs> where was that? What's going on? Oh, yeah. Silphid. This is a play. This is an awesome, like, arcade shmup that was coming to PlayStation yeah. 2. And I just think it's like, it's just very rare for that type of game to. You, I, um, I own this game. It's a great game. Uh, so from Working Designs, anytime I saw that Working Designs logo, I knew right. I was in for a good time. Mm-hmm. And then Spaz, Twitch games, nothing else. Ooh, yeah, I couldn't get away with that anymore in 2022. Yeah. Um, and this is your big cover feature, John. Star Wars games, A New Hope. So I guess, I guess this would be like a, write, a whole era I coming this? out. I don't remember if I wrote this. Let's see a by, there's not a byline on there. It's a big sprawling feature. This would be a new era of Lucasfilm games coming on the tails of Phantom Menace would be out at this point, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And there was some cool stuff like Jedi Starfighter, is that what it's called? Like that Xbox game. And yeah. like and obviously the GameCube games, like it was a good era for Star Wars games. Plenty of PC stuff. Super Bombad Racing, which is their kart racer. I think Did that come out? out? Yeah. Yeah. I think it looked oh, pretty ugly, but I think we gave it an okay score. Star Wars Demolition was like Twisted Metal with Star Wars. Oh, gosh. Don't remember that. And Same. Star Wars Episode One Starfighter, which I think we gave a 9 out of 10. Episode One Starfighter, that's right. Yeah, this, that, this game I just remember seeing at somebody's house, and I was like, these graphics are incredible. Yeah, yeah. I never it was, I th- if I remember rightly, it might have been one of the first non-Sony PS2 games that we saw at the time. Because um, mm-hmm. we'd, we'd, we'd seen a bunch of stuff at this point, but I think this was like the first, okay, let's see what, you know, like someone else is doing with it. And it, it was, this was a period where I think, you know, I think the two biggest generation jumps we ever have ever experienced in terms of them blowing us away was going into PS1 and then going into, P- like the jump from PS1 to PS2 was, just, I mean, remember this was pre- Pre HD, like mm-hmm. technically, I think right. the PS2 could spit out 480p, but that's not what it did. Was a standard thing. You needed a certain cable to be able to get 480 out of it, and it was still 43. Um, but it was so much better looking than the PlayStation, and it was like it was this time where it was like, oh my god, can anything ever be better than this? You know? Mm-hmm. Is that a little blurb on the movies coming to DVD? Yeah, they might yeah. be coming to DVD. Not officially. I remember the yet. first run of those movies on DVD. It was they were. I definitely had the box set for them. Yeah. Uh, if you yeah. have the box set, then I am on that DVD. Then. Really cool. What, talking what about did you do? actually talking about this game. There's a segment on the oh, on the DVD okay. box set previewing Starfighter, and and, and there's a, a very young, fresh faced me, possibly even without a beard, talking about Starfighter. Okay. Ooh. Wow. I remember it was like a black and silver kind of package, the original yeah. box set for it, with like yeah. a cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> this is a disturbing ad for Rayman 2. I don't like it. Nope. <laughs> um, little bourbon. Past Star Wars games. Sam, I didn't realize The Empire Strikes Back for Atari 2600 predated the Star Wars arcade game by a year. Yeah, that's interesting, right? That. Yeah, the Star Wars arcade game was pretty late to the game, but it was also the highest tech piece of equipment anywhere on the planet when it came out yeah. and i have one a foot away from me off camera right now oh, and did you know there's a worms pinball <laughs> no i did not know that <laughs> for the apparently dreamcast they a, apparently they made a worms pinball game 
Uh, Ray Crisis, another shooter from Working Designs. Not for PS2, though, just for PlayStation 1. And then in, in your review section, there's a whole op-ed about what's, what happened to virtual reality. Back in the early 90s, when processor chip technology was really kicking into its hyperbolic curve toward the smaller and more powerful, VR was all anyone could talk about. Just around the corner, we were told, we'd have full surround sound headset, headset video, tactile response, controller gloves, and voice recognition and response. And just a few years beyond that would be full immersion body suits, sensory tanks, and neural jacks. Anyway, just funny that we're, nah. they were talking about vir- virtual reality all the way back then. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the lull for virtual reality back then, too, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that, was, that was the dark ages. Uh, in, the, in the reviews, you guys really liked Madden NFL 2001. Five discs, and then another budget game in that series from Take Two, Action Bass. I only got two, <laughs> two discs. Parasite Eve 2 got four and a half. I don't think I ever played Parasite Eve 2, just the first one. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Sam, Pro Pinball, Big Race USA, got three and a half discs. That looks from me. The screenshots look really good. There's also Pro yeah. Pinball, Fantastic Journey. Two different John sa- games. John says they're pretty good. Yeah. The highlighted quote is, everything works the way you think it should. Good. Well, that's, that's <laughs> all you mean, really I, need. <laughs> what's really weird is like, this is, speaking of Dark Ages, like this is the worst time for pinball. Because pin, in 2000, was the year that Williams collapsed with their Pinball 2000. And then yeah. Stern was putting out like real bad stuff, like oh. Big Buck Hunter and mm-hmm. Austin Powers. It, it got really bad. Then, you know, Stern had Lord of the Rings, 2004 or five, and then kind of started picking up from there. But Pinball could have yeah. gone away forever at this point. It's, yeah, it's Nobody funny you say that. This. The blurb for Pro Pinball Big Race USA says, Pro Pinball games do manage to capture the ambiance of this dying pastime. Yeah. What a comeback story, though. For real. I've never heard of this Star Trek Invasion <laughs> game. It got four and a half stars, so pretty good. Tenchu 2 got three discs, sorry. And then Spider-Man got uh, five discs. Everyone loves the Spider-Man game for the PlayStation, right? Well, yep. The second one, especially. I don't remember the first one very well. Got five discs, Sam. Okay. There's an app for Dino Crisis 2. I just want to put energy out there in the universe. Hopefully we will get another Crisis game at some point. And that's it. Next month, you have the PlayStation 2 launch over in uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly. They've got new picks of Metal Gear Solid 2 coming and Final Fantasy 9. And that is the October 2000 issue of official U.S. PlayStation magazine. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of a weird era for, you know, like very, very end of a console generation, right? Yeah. It's a weird time to be making a magazine. Well, but yeah, but right, the following right, the, the following month, yeah, the that November two thousand issue, everything changed in yep in in such a memorable way. I remember, so it was like a really fat issue of the magazine, and um, we just we didn't really have art or photography because they were Sony was so secretive in the build up mm-hmm. to that. So I remember, like, if it was going out in in time for the launch, we were putting the issue together. In, probably late September, like it was like super secret the way they were handling everything. So the cover for that magazine was just, it was the PlayStation blue with the, the symbols and silver on it. Um, but it was like, it was a huge issue for us. And then from, from that point forward, um, the next three, four years, it was like, it just kept getting bigger. I mean, like that PS2 era is like probably the, 
I would say it's one of the most exciting periods has ever been because like there was so much stuff and so many innovations happening and people doing things with the hardware that no one thought, you know, no one even thought of with like 3D games and stuff. Like just what a 3D game. Remember at that point, the, the, all of the paradigms for um, controlling a camera with an analog stick and just things mm -hmm. we take for granted today, mm -hmm. none of that stuff have been invented yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, is OPM still around? No. Um, so is, is there a PlayStation magazine now? There's, there are, I think there are in Europe. Um, yeah. The different, so. different territories had, so there, there are different flavors of, of the Sony group. That Didn't had OPM hang, hang in there for a long time though? Wasn't it around it for It did, a yeah. And I think it ended up being published by Future in the end. Mm -hmm. They picked up the rights towards the sort of like very tail end of it. I think PSM morphed into it. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. But they so and I think I believe the the UK version of the official PlayStation magazine hung on a lot longer. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a very different relationship between Sony and and Future in the UK than we had. Like I mean, I don't know if you notice on the cover, that's not the PlayStation logo. We weren't allowed to use any mm -hmm. of Sony's typography or. Like there was a there was a lot of weird rules in the US about what you could and couldn't. Um, they pretty much stayed out of our hair though, which I think a lot of people made the assumption that Sony had a lot of editorial input, and they really didn't. Um, sometimes frustratingly, so that we would, you know, it, it wasn't a sure thing that um, we would get exclusives on first party stuff. We were, hmm. you know, much like. A lot of people in our space, we were competing with Game Informer for exclusives constantly. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we got into the kind of period between, you know, there was this Sony thought there was an understanding that we got Jack and Daxter and Game Informer got Ratchet and Clank. And I really didn't <laughs> like it being that way around. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. There's um, you touched on something interesting there a second ago, John, where there was the official PlayStation magazine and then PSM was the unofficial PlayStation yep. magazine. Mm -hmm. And they really leaned into, you know, because they were unofficial, like they leaned into that and played that up. Right. Yeah. But then when the official PlayStation magazine was discontinued, PSM became the official PlayStation <laughs> magazine and they changed their name to PlayStation, the official magazine. And it's yep. like that's up there with like Ziff Davis previously was GameSpot and is now IGN, like these weird sort of corporate switcheroos that can happen. Yeah. And we would, I can't remember what the time was on renegotiate. It was, I think it was every three years we had to kind of repitch our vision for the magazine. And, um, but that period, um, you know, around the PS2 launch was kind of like, you know, if, they were very visible in a lot of things. You know, Andy House and Phil Harrison were there as kind of the U.S. front people. Kudaragi was like, you know, the most quotable man in video games because he would yeah. come out with these like amazing things that he would say about his dream for what video games could be. So it was like they were they were fun to work with. Um, over time, they became a lot more difficult. Um, but at that point, they, you know, they were onto something and they really knew it. You know, mm -hmm. and there was some swagger to it, but in the right the right way. Well, yeah. they're they're just about to launch the best selling console of all time, which will probably never be beat. Yeah, I mean, hundred and nearly hundred and sixty million units they sold of that yeah. thing.
Okay, that brings us to Video Game 20 Questions. Our suggestion this week comes from Matthew Jacobs in Illinois. Let questioning begin. Mm, You think he's in Chicago or like rural Illinois? Sounds like Champaign-Urbana to me. I think Um, I agree. Do you, uh, uh, did this, could this game have been in this issue of official PlayStation magazine? It could have. Could have, yes. Okay. Um, I mean, okay. Like, did this game come out in the 90s? No. Did it come out in the 80s? Rip. I mean, is it? Should we say seven? Like, did it come out? No, well, no, I think it's two thousand. It's two thousand, so it's like a preview. Yeah, and then it's probably the way Damon answered. It's probably like not on like a Sony console, but yeah. like maybe could have been mentioned in passing or something. Yeah, is it a platform exclusive? Yes. Oh, that makes it fun. I mean, okay, is it exclusive to a PlayStation platform? No. What about one of those Nintendo platforms? No. Oh, could be, well, okay. Obviously, it could be Xbox. could be Dreamcast. I mean, is it exclusive to an Xbox platform? No. Oh, boy. Could <laughs> <laughs> be Dreamcast. Well, I mean, this does narrow it down a lot. Yeah, Dreamcast or PC, I guess. Yeah, or mobile. Yeah. It's a little early. Yeah. Well, we we don't know if it. it Yeah. John, John Romero was making those mobile games for Java phones for a while. (laughs) Um, I I mean, I feel like we got to bring the question. Like it was this exclusive to the Dreamcast. Yes. Okay. Okay. Does this game have licensed music in it? That would annoy that person. No. (laughs) Uh, um, but that was that was Tony Hawk. I was thinking of Crazy Taxi. Oh yeah, that also I understand what you're asking. Yeah, yeah. it was just. Well, I think I mean, but I just think it had licensed music in it. It was just the Offspring. Was it um, a was it a Jap- game on Dreamcast? Japanese made game. Um, they have to all be. It is in part made okay, in Japan. People remember, like. A lot of the Dreamcast stuff, you know, like Midway and Acclaim and those guys were all yeah, doing they stuff. Their stuff. Mm-hmm. What is in, in, part in, in part made in Japan? What does that mean? Were there any compilations? Oh, boy. And it also wasn't, I mean, I guess it wasn't late Dreamcast, but it also wasn't early. It wasn't like launch Dreamcast because we know it's not a 90s game. Didn't Sega make most of the games in the Dreamcast? I mean, eventually. <laughs> yeah. Did Sega publish this game? Yes. Ooh. Oh, okay. All right. So there weren't that many. And the development oh, thing would be weird because wouldn't Sega develop everything in Japan? So I was thinking that's what I was thinking. So, okay. So that knocks out like Power Stone. You know, it knocks out Code Veronica. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like Sonic Adventure. <laughs> I get it really. It's, did they they publish Seaman, right? <laughs> Maybe there's like a game. Oh man. Uh we could go for type of game from here. 
um, or uh, was it well received? Something like that. <clears throat> yeah, it could be an arcade port. You know, so any of the any of those arcade games that came to Dreamcast, of which there are many. Yeah, this is not my system, so it's very difficult for me. What okay, about, like, I mean, Typing of the Dead or something like that. Yeah, something weird like that. Does this game? Did this game originally appear? Also appear in arcades? No. All right. Typing of the Dead did. I just want to point that out. Yeah, so it knocks out all of those. Uh, there, does this game? trying to think that they the um, partly american so like sega did some like trucker game remember no <laughs> you remember it was like 18 wheeler or something like oh i mean i no i like i believe you i don't i don't have any memories of that what about like virtua tennis game or something like that that would have been partially developed outside of japan i think it might be virtua tennis virtua tennis there you go tennis would be a good one because maybe that's partially developed in europe or okay, was this a sports game? No. Shit. Man. Would you consider raising a weird little sea creature a sport? <laughs> <laughs> um so is this does this game was well, does this game this. Have, does this game have any sequels? Yes. Oh I, I mean C, man. We haven't eliminated like I don't know the American develop part or not Japanese develop part, but it could be like Sonic Adventure one or two. I don't, I'm trying to think. It has sequels. That means it's not C Man. Mm-hmm. I mean, does this game have Sonic in it? No, that's fifteen. <sighs> okay, so it's not from. It's not an arcade game. Sega published it. It's it has sequels. It's not a Sonic game. Not a sports game. I don't know Shinmu. Did they did they publish Shinmu? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was just made by. That was very Japanese, Japan, right? Yeah. yeah, it's extremely Japanese. I don't know, um, so I can't account for that. Maybe shooters like top down shooters. <laughs> yeah, but which ones wouldn't have appeared in arcades? Oh yeah. Um, we'll mention all the Dreamcast games you know, and then we'll ask the question if we mentioned it yet. I mean, we're getting down to it. I mean, have we? I mean, uh, have we isolated whether it was? were a bunch of driving games probably fit a lot oh. of criteria. Ooh, ooh, ooh! So yeah, okay, 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 okay. Driving or fighting, right? Soul Calibur. Or- yeah. What about what about like Fantasy Star Online? Because that could have had some weird like online developer. I don't know. You're like, okay, so there's also um. There's 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 Jet Set Radio or no the well, other one Jet Grind Radio and and Fantasy Star and a few other games you mentioned are RPGs so we could ask the RPG question. Okay, is Shenmue an RPG? Actually, I think it is. It's like I a don't know. RPG, right? It's like a weird life sim. I don't know. It defies description. Okay, maybe that's not a good one then. Fantasy Star Online. That's bizarre. But that, that's not a console exclusive. Didn't that come to GameCube? Uh, well, like sequels did the, the uh, Fantasy Star Online 2 is like the big one. Okay. Yeah, I don't know where to go with this. Have we mentioned this game yet? Yes. <laughs> so what did I, what was I, I. Uh, C-Man, Fantasy Star, I think were work. No, I don't, no sequels for C-Man. I don't think I'd specifically name dropped Samba de Amigo yet. No, you <laughs> so, didn't, so it's not that. It's not, it's not that. 
Is this I think it's crazy. Uh, but Crazy Taxi is an arcade game. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah. Is this an RPG, Damon? No. <laughs> oh, wait. Okay. So, what do we mention that's not an RPG? We didn't mention Choo Choo Rocket. There's more games coming to me. Not mentioning different games that we haven't mentioned. <laughs> now I'm getting confused. Uh, typing so, of the Dead, House of the Dead. So, you know what? I Again, I can't account for like the developer portion of it, but it could be Shimu. Maybe. Shimu. Just because we mentioned it. Yeah. It, it, I, I don't think I would call it an RPG. Does this have a box moving component to it? Yeah, you're driving a forklift in this game. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Oh, what did we mention? It leaves you with one question and a guess, and I'll maybe Seaman has a sequel. Yeah, maybe you're right. What were you gonna say, Damon? It was a (laughs) crease, but I don't think that counts as a sequel. There was. Oh, I think this is the first time ever. Usually, it's to be mentioned this game, and Damon says no, and then we give up. We say, okay, well, (laughs) we're on the wrong track. But now that we did mention it, it's gonna drive me crazy. You have one question to narrow it down. Wait, let's take stock a minute. So it's not a it's not a role playing game. It's not a sports game. Not an arcade game. You mentioned virtual okay. tennis. Uh, oh, sports thing. Sports, sports. Yeah. The only thing that disqualifies Seaman is, is all I'm saying is that we think it doesn't have sequels. I don't know. That's the only thing disqualifying it. Doesn't it doesn't have Sonic? I mean that's true. The 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 not entirely Japanese or whatever it was is throwing me on that one because I don't remember there being any kind of Western influence on that thing at all. I, I but maybe there was. Maybe Sid Meier got his hands on that. I was just gonna say maybe like Peter Molyneux <laughs> like worked on that game for eight months. Like who knows? <laughs> oh boy. I mean, yeah, is that what we're gonna ask? Yeah. We, gonna this, we have a question. We have a question. We, we have a question, but. Is there a better? I don't have a better way to narrow it down. Does this game is, is this have an a weird game? Yeah, does this have a weird sea creature in it? Yes. <laughs> is it Sea Man? It is Sea Man. Yes. Oh, wow. I nice. can't wait to hear about the Sea Man sequel. Okay, so first of all, Sea Man is not developed by Sega. Oh. Two developers, Vivarium, which is a Japanese developer that focuses on uh, making games with voice control. Sure. Men use the microphone peripheral. Or... Sure did. And then the other one is Jelly Vision, which is an American <laughs> developer that made you don't know Jack. What? And they also, then they, they were also this? working on. They were also working on voice control technology. So they're the ones that made it. The very they, be, they became is, Jackbox Games. Uh, or yeah, they, they went out of business around uh, shortly after Seaman, and then they came back in whatever form they are today. Incredible. Now Vivarium, this Japanese company that. Focuses on games with voice control. Made another game for GameCube. Does anyone know what that might be? Oh, was it Odama? It was Odama. Nice. Oh. Yeah. And ben. Japan got a PS2 sequel, Seaman 2, but only in Japan. Seaman cool. 2, Christmas Seaman. <laughs> what is Christmas Seaman? I must know. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? What was Christmas Seaman? Nobody so, knows. Was that it's DLC? so weird. I've actually I never played Seaman. While doing this research, I watched the end on, on YouTube. So the whole thing takes place in like an aquarium. And then when you finally like raise them to the right level, 
the back of the aquarium opens up and it reveals like a lush tropical rainforest. And he like, he's like in a frog form then. And he hops out and he thanks you. And he's like, I'm off to go explore the world now. That's great. Yeah. Pretty cool. I mean, maybe it's great. Maybe it's an environmental disaster in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I never played Seaman. I played Odama and it's like a top 10. Like it just doesn't work. Like it's like such a weird, interesting concept. And Go I left. bought it with my own Go money left. as a kid. Yeah. And it just, it just didn't fucking work. And like, that's my memory of that game. <laughs> well, see, man, nicely job. You got there. The 20th question. It's always yeah. an, ex- always yeah. ma- I, makes it I, exciting. Yes. It was, a, it, maybe it was a averagely job. <laughs> yeah, a win is a win. Yeah. It was in the wind column. Thank you for the suggestion. Matthew Jacobs in Illinois. Listeners, viewers, if you have your own suggestions for 20 questions, email them to me at the email address, gamescoop at IGN.com. And that's going to be all the scoops that we have for you this week. I'm actually going to be on vacation next week, but Sam will be hosting the show in my stead. <laughs> Friendly reminder, Sam. <laughs> Please be excited for right. a Sam-hosted episode. And then coming up after that is the uh, oh, is our game, our Halloween episode after that. Yeah, it's the next week. So two weeks from now will be our big uh, Halloween okay. episode. And maybe there'll be a special guest. I don't know. Okay, we'll so we'll start. Is it Ricardo O'Skeleton? <laughs> uh, Ricardo O'Skeleton is out. He's, hang- he's chilling uh, in our, uh, our living room right now. Just you have a special skeleton guest you could bring on potentially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Skelly Bones Marones. He doesn't fit in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot in the yard. Well, we'll we'll start cranking up the spooky next week. We'll, we'll okay. have uh, ghost sounds and werewolf howls. And, you gotta uh, have the creaky door. The creaky door. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, just spiders scuttling. You have to turn it up really loud to hear them. Yeah, perfect. There's always a spider scuttling somewhere for you arachnophobes. That's true. That's true. Uh, okay. Thank you, John. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Justin. Thank you to Jobert working behind the scenes to make this episode possible. My name is Damon. This is IGN Game Soup, and we're out. A million-